Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. This is our preview podcast, previewing the rivalry game, USC and UCLA with my good friend David Woods. He does a great job covering the Bruins for Bruin Report Online. He's also my co-host on the podcast of Champions, and we got to preview this game. He's coming on with me, so a little different format, Dave, than we normally do. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's been such a long time since we've spoken. <laughs> We talk all the time. I, I gotta say, you start this with so much more energy than you start our show. Like well, you, you, you're bringing it so hard at the beginning. Now, I don't know if that means I should be bringing more because I'm the one who talks first on ours, or if you're just so burnt out by the time you record the POC every week that you're just like, <laughs> no, I'm not doing this. It, it ends up being because we do these on Wednesdays. It ends up being a rough day because I'll do a preview podcast. We do our POC, which is like two hours, and then I do a live show afterwards. So. It, you'll get a bit more energy than the live show, but yeah, you're you're the one that starts it, man. I don't know how I started like the hello Trojan fans. I just started doing that, and it just became like the thing. Um, it's great when I like have a scratchy voice or something, and I I mess it up. You know, that, that's all fun stuff too. But I don't know if you want to try something like that, Dave. I mean, maybe I will next time. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to work on it. Uh, yeah, it's not as if we're recording that immediately after this, so maybe I'll have. <laughs> even a few <laughs> seconds to think about it. <laughs> well, everyone, real quick, uh, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call or text us, 424-254-9141, if you have any questions. I'll answer a few questions at the end of the show. Um, and if you have an Apple podcasting app, please leave us a five-star rating. You can subscribe. Comments, feedback, suggestions, all of that is great. But we want to get into the meat of this and talk UCLA football. The Bruins are three and two. The Bruins have a winning record for the first time of the Chip Kelly era, Dave. Like this is this is not the this is not your uh, 2019 UCLA team. If you told me that in November of 2017, like the day Chip Kelly was hired, on his birthday no less, that it would be two and a half full seasons before Chip Kelly would have any sort of winning record for a momentary period or for the entire period, I I, I might have cried. I might have actually cried. <laughs> I, why, I mean, why? Maybe I would have been laughing. I don't know. But it is it is truly astounding that here we are in year three, three beautiful years in, and Chip Kelly now has a winning record in the season. It is pretty nuts. And uh, I think neither one of us were all that high on the Bruins coming into the season, you know, just seeing. But, you know, what we've seen, you know, the last few weeks – um, even with the loss to Oregon, but, you know, getting a win, um, you know, over Arizona and Arizona state, um, you know, back to back weeks, more of like a hang on win against, uh, Arizona state last week, but it just looks like a much more fun team. I mean, they just look very different than what I thought, you know, what we saw early maybe in the season. And then, mm-hmm. you know, what, what we kind of expected to see. Yeah, I would say um, probably a big part of that, because if any of uh, you Trojan fans have been watching UCLA at all this year, um, you've probably noticed, just even if you're not like super tuned in, that the defense looks different. And that's probably the source of the main kind of more fun to watch. Um, they're a ton more aggressive than they've been in probably, 
at least since the early Mora era, but those defenses weren't really like this one. This one is very predicated on scheme, very predicated on uh, deception, disguise. They're bringing pressure from a lot of different areas. You'll see cornerbacks get frequent sacks. You'll see safeties get sacks. You'll see linebackers get sacks. You'll see defensive linemen get sacks. It's kind of a, there's no one guy who's just taking the lion's share of the pass rush the way it has been for good pass rushing UCLA teams in the past. Um, so it's really fun to watch just the way they mix and match pressures and coverages. Um, and a lot of that can be attributed to um, the new defensive backs coach, but effectively and just the reality of it is he's the co-defensive coordinator and probably more defensive coordinator than co-defensive coordinator, Brian Norwood, uh, who UCLA brought in from Navy in the offseason. Um, he was He's replacing Paul Rhodes, who moved on to Arizona, who was the DB coach, but... Um, He's, I mean, he's getting paid, you know, pretty well. He's called the defensive passing game coordinator, which is one of those meaningless titles. Um, but essentially, he's playing a big role in the design and execution of this defense. And that's why you're seeing a really big shift in the fortunes of UCLA. I wouldn't say fundamentally the offense is all that much different, uh, but the defense has gone. It's been a night and day shift, which was at the most optimistic end of what you could have expected from just hiring a new assistant. Cause everyone's been through that USC. I'm sure has been through it a bunch of times when a failing head coach hires an assistant. Some of the fan base will get really like, Oh yeah, this, this assistant, he's going to be the key to making this work. Well, UCLA may have actually done it. Like they may yeah. have actually gotten an assistant who put Chip Kelly's program over the hump. So if and when Chip Kelly, you know, 10 years from now is still at UCLA and stacking Rose Bowls or whatever, he should be paying out a, a stipend to Brian Norwood in perpetuity. Yeah, because I mean, we I think both of us thought that this could be like Chip Kelly's last year. And now yeah. they look like a much more um, feisty team. Well, let, let's talk on the offensive side of the football. Um, you know, Doran Thompson Robinson ends up getting the Rona or was he was was he Rona? Or was he quarant like was he, he was uh, not he was not Rona'd. He was, um, I, I think, around a Rona. Um, okay. So he got he got the uh, the longer period. So he was in the contact tracing protocol, which was 14 days. Yeah. So misses a couple games, but they, you know, I did the offense look better without him? Like, well, maybe talk about the quarterback. So position. there's Just been a lot of con- <laughs> there's been a lot of conversation about this. Okay. So Dorian Thompson Robinson, as anybody who's watched him knows, he's kind of boomer bust. He can make these really spectacular plays with his legs. He's got a rocket for an arm, the whole thing. But his decision-making can sometimes be pretty poor. He makes some boneheaded turnovers. Um, he, he will roll himself into sacks. Like, just kind of the stuff that frustrates you when you're watching a game. Chase Griffin, his understudy, is not able to do any of the spectacular stuff that Dorian Thompson-Robinson does. He's not going to scramble 100 yards for a touchdown. He's not going to throw a rocket downfield that, you know, ends up in the waiting arms of his tight end, you know, 40 yards downfield. He's just not going to do that stuff. But what he was doing was steady, good decision making. Um, And that goes beyond just where he's throwing the ball, but decisions in the run game, decisions in the read game, just doing everything kind of by the book, the way, you know, it's coached to be done. And the offense was, uh, for want of a better word, smooth. It looked smooth. It wasn't, it didn't look like you had to kind of shut your eyes and hope at any point, like, you know, peeking through your fingers um, because you're like, you know, the classic, no, 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 no. Yes. Okay. That was good. Um, There was much less of that. Whereas with Thompson Robinson, there's a lot more of that. There's a lot more of the kind of heart attack football where you're like, where's this, 
where's this play going to end up? Um, the question is, which one is better? I think from my end, watching the way the offense executed and particularly the way the running game worked with a guy like Griffin at quarterback, and this is the part that's counterintuitive, is that the running game was a lot better with Griffin in there. Um, and my read on that is it's because he's making better decisions in the run game. Like he's choosing to hand off or he's, you know, keeping them in the right play. He's not freelancing, whatever it is. Um, so my, I, I go back and forth on it, but my pick is that it looks a little bit better with Griffin in there. Um, and that's not necessarily because Griffin's a more spectacular player. I think it's just because he's got a little bit better head for the game at this point. But then again, you watch the ASU game and Dorian Thompson Robinson, Chase Griffin wouldn't have been able to do what Thompson Robinson did at the end of that game. You know, four minute drill brings him down the field, scores that touchdown with a couple of laser throws and scrambling. Um, that's that wouldn't have been in Griffin's wheelhouse. So if you could marry the two or not marry them, but like actually meld them together, you would really have something. Um, but for now, it's academic. UCLA is going to go with Thompson Robinson until or unless he gets hurt again. All right. Uh, the run game has been pretty impressive as well. Uh, I mean, Demetric Felton just looks like, I mean, doesn't look like a guy that should be able to run between the tackles or, you know, if you switch over from wide receiver, that's not normally something you see, but he looks great running between the tackles. What's, uh, I don't know. We didn't see him that much last week, but what's, uh, what's up with the UCLA run game? Okay. So this is kind of a question mark coming into the game. So UCLA's running game has been very good. Demetric Felton, who was previously, I think thought of as like a slot receiver kind of masquerading at running back and certainly a playmaker, but uncertain whether he could be that between the tackles type guy, just from a size, from a, you know, usage standpoint. Uh, he really showed he can, uh, this year he's been really, really impressive, but he went really high usage the two weeks before, um, last week's game against ASU. Um, and at the end of the last game, he pulled up lame, um, on his final run, uh, could have been a hammy, could have been a foot, could have been any number of things. And he looked a little limited last week against ASU, not just from his usage. He was only used in basically two series, but he looked maybe a half step slow. Um, they still used him, so it's not as if he was like playing with a broken knee or something, but he might have been a little bit sore, might have been a little overworked, whatever it was. Um, so they limited what he was doing. He came in on the critical final series. So the expectation is that he will definitely play. The question is whether he's going to be able to be near 100%. Um, and I would doubt it, but I think he'll probably be playing quite a bit more than he played against ASU. His understudy is Britton Brown, uh, who's a transfer in from Duke, um, who provides a little bit more of the big back role um, to Felton's uh, kind of speed uh, playmaking role. And Brown's been excellent this year. Um, his... His thing is really, you know, making contact with guys. He really wants to deliver the blow, um, and he runs with a really physical style. Um, and as a change of pace for Felton, and I don't—that's the phrasing I'm using. I don't know if if I buy that there are things such as changes of pace, but I think it provides this like fun little counterpoint when you're watching it to see this big physical guy just bowling over defenders while Felton's dancing through them. Um, but Brown's been really good this year. He too was a little bit gimpy uh, during the game on Saturday. Uh, he um, There was a play where he had like a 60-yard run, and then immediately afterwards he caught the ball for like an 18-yard catch, and afterwards he fell down, and it was almost like he was just exhausted. 
but his usage was really limited after that, and that was just before halftime. So I don't know if they're just trying to manage these guys heading into the final game of the year. Um, I would anticipate both are going to play, um, but whether they're at 100% is anyone's guess. On the defensive side of the ball, is this a kind of a – is it a 4-2-5? Is it 3-3-5? What it, I know they've shifted this year. What's it What's it uh, look like? It's – it's uh, whatever. I mean, 4-2-5 or 3-3-5, it's a nickel defense. Um, they're moving guys around a lot. Like, you're going to see guys who are ostensibly inside linebackers playing edge rush roles. Like, they are moving guys around so much that it – it's almost silly to talk about what positions or what formation this is. It's just they're they're varying quite a bit. Um, and what it looks like five seconds pre-snap is not going to be a whole lot what it looks like a second pre-snap. Um, they're moving guys around a lot. So, yes, it's a nickel defense. Um, they are doing a lot of what is ostensibly 4-2-5. Um, but it's... Essentially, they're working to get pressure in a lot of different ways, um, and they'll move guys around. One of the, a couple of the big names to know, um, Osa Adigazua up front um, on the defensive line has been one of the better defensive linemen in the league this year. Um, he's kind of he was really good last year, and he's taken his game up another notch this year. Um, he hasn't really since the Colorado game, where I just don't know if he'd had his full you know feet under him yet for the start of the year. Uh, he's been really tough to single up um offensive lines that have tried to just kind of you know man him up one guy have had some real issues with him so he he demands a little extra attention um and then one of these kind of um whirling dervishes that just plays in a lot of different spaces is Quantrez Knight um who's listed as a safety but he's basically playing he'll be an outside rusher at times. He'll be essentially a linebacker at times. He'll play deep safety sometimes, but he's all over the place. He's a playmaker. Um, he has a lot of athletic ability, but he's gotten quite a few sacks already this year. He's been in the backfield. Um, so teams have started to key on him a little bit because he's playing the striker role in this four, two, five, um, where they're kind of looking at him as, as maybe a key tip off for what the defense is trying to do. And the defense has the defensive staff has responded by having other guys kind of filling in that role with with Knight playing more of a, you know, a, a, dis, a disguised role. It's kind of fun to watch um, the different ways they're they're kind of playing chess. But um, uh, Knight's been really good. But those two guys are probably two of the essential players on this defense this year. Um, when you mentioned pressure, that's what I've been seeing. And I think it was. It probably was early on. Maybe it was the Oregon game. I don't know. But I just remember watching. It seemed like UCLA kind of knew, okay, this is a running down. And they were just like, there's dudes in the box. They were run blitzing. They were really just making it hard to run. And then they would drop back people when, you know, it's third and long and the, the team's got to pass. It just seemed like whatever the opponent's offense was doing, they were they was figuring out a way to get some pressure and make the quarterback uncomfortable or hit the running back yeah. in the backfield. It just seems like this is a just a high pressure defense right now very much so um and i wouldn't say it's quite as if everyone remembers todd graham's defenses at asu i wouldn't say it's quite as blitz happy as that one was because that felt like it was almost situational independent they were just going to bring pressure no matter what um this one i feel it's it's a it's a smarter kind of more sophisticated scheme they aren't blitzing literally every down um they're very much making it hard for offenses to work. I think a lot of it is even when they're not blitzing, they're just 
they're shifting defensive linemen right before the snap. They're moving guys around right before the snap and making it hard for opposing quarterbacks to get a read on what they're actually seeing. Um, and I, one big thing that just kind of struck me last week was, so UCLA scored, uh, to go ahead, um, and, uh, go ahead by seven, 25, 18 against ASU and ASU had a minute and 10 left with two timeouts. Now, any UCLA defense, any UCLA defense for the last like 15 years would have obviously let ASU drive to the UCLA 20 <laughs> in about 40 seconds. Like that, that 100% would have happened because they would have gone into, obviously, as everyone knows, full bend but don't break. It would have been, you know, two deep safeties back, corners playing off, three man rush, and just let them eat up the field. Um, not so with Brian Norwood, um, this infused Brian, this Brian Norwood infused defense. Uh, they brought pressure. They brought pressure on that entire series. Um, and ultimately, the, the series ended because Jaden Daniels just kept getting sacked. Um, and that wouldn't have happened under previous staffs. I thought that was one of the best indications of what is different about this UCLA team this year. It's that they have a new defensive brain trust, and it is paying off in a major way. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. I do feel like... We, you know, you know, you the the defenses have had success against USC. We're dropping more guys into coverage, uh, not not as much blitzing, man to man stuff. Usually, USC can kind of pick that apart. Do you feel like UCLA would would do that, or are they going to do what they do well? Uh, we've seen teams kind of get burned when they've tried to do that against USC. Yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be tricky. I think they're going to have to pick their spots more. Um, and they had to do that against ASU, too, to a certain extent. Like, ASU, I would say, was a less less aggressive game plan than the previous ones. And it was for a different reason, because um, Jaden Daniels was a true dual threat. So you have to play a little bit more containment. This will be even more, I think, to the you've really got to pick your spots side of things. Um, I don't think they're going to completely go three-man rush and drop eight. Um but uh, there, I, I, I really see it. I, I have a hard time seeing them being able to bring the level of pressure that they brought against Cal, that they brought against Oregon, that they brought against Arizona. I just, it, it, that seems like it might be foolish. With the talent that USC has at receiver, um, I think UCLA's secondary play has been fine this year, but I think it's also been fine largely because they've been getting pressure quite yeah. a bit. Um and I'm just not super confident that they're going to get enough pressure quickly enough to disrupt what should be a mismatch at basically three receiver versus DB competitions. Like it's, you know, that's the, the top three for USC should beat the top three DBs for UCLA. And that's going to force UCLA to play more, you know, safety coverage and, and you know, zone things up a little bit more. And they'll have to get creative within that. You know, maybe there's some zone blitzing they can do. Um, maybe there's some different stuff they can get after. It might require more just deception and disguise before the snap. So you're sending four, but which four? Where are they coming from? Um, I think it'll be more of that sort of game than a whole lot of six or seven man blitzes. 
And then uh, we'll finish off. Well, we'll do a prediction, but uh, the special teams, any uh, standouts on special teams or anything to note? It's it's new faces. Um, so Luke Akers is the new punter, and he's been largely pretty good. The one thing I would note is he's very slow on his get-off, um, and I know that there have been big special teams plays in this series kind of throughout the history of time. Um I wouldn't be shocked if USC gets a pump block in this one. Um, he's very, very slow. He can boom it, and it can go a long way, but he's got a, he takes a long time to get it off, um, Luke Akers. Um, and he's this is his first year. I think he's going to be really good, but he needs to speed that thing up. Um, and then the kicker is Nicholas Barmira. Uh, he's, I think he's had two, maybe three field goal attempts this year. He's been good. He's been fine, um, but nothing... Nothing special yet. Um, they're not going to attempt much beyond, I think, 45 yards. Um, Chip Kelly's been much more aggressive on fourth down this year. Um, he, the last two weeks, he's gone for it on fourth and one from his own 25 and his own 29 um, <laughs> early in the game, which I support. I'm all for fourth and one. You should go from pretty much everywhere. Um, but he's been much more aggressive just generally on fourth down this year, which, again, I support. Uh, but I don't know how much of that is dependent on or based on the fact that his special teams are young guys. Um, so, yeah, those are the two big things. I think the return game hasn't really done much this year, but there have been few opportunities. Um, Kyle Phillips and Dimitri Felton are both, they have the potential to take one a long way. Uh, they just haven't this year. And then uh, we'll end it with uh, some kind of prediction. How do you think this one's going to go? You've watched this team all year. Uh, how cool. do you think it'll end up? Um I think it's going to be close. Uh, I think. So you tell me, what's USC's linebacker situation going into this game? Because that's so, kind of a big one for me. Yeah, so like, like similar to what you were talking about, moving guys around, they had Talanoa Hufunga play a lot of like middle linebacker in this last game. Now they might get Raylan Goforth back. Um, it sounds like he's doing a lot better. We'll get an up. We'll have an update Thursday morning on. On him, but then if that's the case, then you feel pretty good about the linebackers. They did have Pelaier Nootote opt out. You know, he's on the transfer portal, um, not opt out. And so the not great depth there, but they're, if they get Raylan Goforth back, I think they'll feel a lot more comfortable. My thought on it is I think UCLA will be able to run the ball a little bit against that defense, and it's really going to be dependent on Dorian Thompson-Robinson not making some just drastically awful decisions throwing the ball over the middle. Um, so I'm probably going to pick a narrow USC lead or narrow USC win. I haven't written the final bit of my preview, which is coming out tomorrow, I think. Um, I'll probably pick like USC by three. Um, I just think there's too much talent at USC's receiver positions. That's going to, like we've just been talking about, going to negate a little bit the advantage that this defense has had over a lot of teams this year, because USC's corner or UCLA's corners have generally been able to play other teams receivers more or less straight up. I don't think they're going to be able to do that against USC. And I think that's going to dictate things quite a bit. Um, and just put the defense on its heels more than it's had to. They'll get some. I mean, I think they're going to sack Slovis, and they're going to get after him, and I think they're going to you know, create some negative plays in the run game. They're, that stuff's going to happen, but I just I, I don't see it happening with enough consistency. With um, And USC's defense is decent. It's pretty good this year. So all that, I think it's going to be a, a USC by three or so. Yeah, you know, USC's defense has got better. The the run game for USC has got worse. So that I think that could be the 
you know, a concern. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. I think it'll be a close one too. Um, do we, you know what the spread in the, is it yet or? Uh, when I was looking at it, it was, it, I think it opened at like four oh, and then okay. I think it's gone down actually to USC by like two and a half. Wow. Okay. Um, so I don't know if that was in light of the linebacker stuff coming out or what, but I think they're predicting a close game. I think that's right. I mean, obviously this game can go haywire in weird ways. Um, it is at the Rose bowl, which generally speaking has been kind to UCLA in this series. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'll flip the whole thing by the time I write the preview. You don't know. <laughs> Who can say? I think it'll be close. I think that's the main takeaway. I think it'll be really close. I think it's two um, relatively evenly matched teams in that they both, if you look at them from an advanced stats perspective, um, they both have decent sides of the ball on both sides. Like USC's offense, pretty good. USC's defense, pretty good. UCLA's offense, yeah, pretty good. US, UCLA's defense, pretty good. Um, and I, I think that that's actually two rarities in the Pac-12 this year. A lot true. of the Pac-12 teams have one good side of the ball and one terrible side of the ball. Yeah. <laughs> I think these two teams are, they, they're both okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Dave, thanks again for uh, coming on. Yeah, no problem. I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the future. Yeah, maybe in like three minutes when we record the uh, podcast of champions. But that's David Woods, everybody. Uh, make sure you check out his work over on Bro. We'll be back in a minute and i'll answer some of your user questions this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed that preview with uh, my friend David Woods. We do the podcast of champions together, and it's always fun talking USC, UCLA, Pac-12 football with him. So it'd be an interesting game this weekend for sure. Let's go to some emails and wrap up the show. We got Don who wrote in. uh, He put AE. I think he means EA, and it's weird. If you were going to use it's IE is actually would be the abbreviation for that because it's Pala EA, but that's how it's just it's IE in the way he spells his name, but it's EA in the way you would say it. And that's kind of the nickname, but then I've seen all kinds of different initials for it. Uh, Don't put AE, so that's reversed even, but it's EA and uh, Pala EA Naoteote, the USC linebacker. Uh, he says EA's entry into the transfer portal is somewhat puzzling. Certainly, he's been a disappointment, but I thought Orlando's scheme would highlight EA's abilities. 
If he cannot make it on a soft team like USC, how does he think he can play for a, quote, real football team? What do you think the real reason for his portal move is? All right, Don. Um, first, I don't think he's a disappointment. Um, we talked about this on the show with Keely Yor, the podcast, uh, on Tuesday that really the, none of the linebackers were playing well the first couple of games. And then whatever change, you know, there was some development for sure, not necessarily player developed, but just the way they were implementing the scheme. It seemed like you look at game three and four, the guys were flying around all over the place. Unfortunately, Pallier was not able to play in that game. So you weren't able to see him do that. But I thought if he was playing, it'd be the same sort of thing. We all, we heard from the coaches uh, during camp, how the strides that Pallier had made and was looking really good. So, uh, you know, we didn't see practice, so we can't tell you. So I don't think, first, I wouldn't say he was a disappointment. Um, second, yes, I think our Orlando's scheme could have highlighted uh, EA's abilities there. I mean, I, I felt like it was going to be uh, going to work well. But like we said, the first two games, none of the linebackers look good. And then they look good in the third and fourth game. Unfortunately, by that time, EA was hurt. Um, as far as like making it on a soft team like USC, how can he play for a real football team? I don't think he wasn't he, – it's not like he couldn't make it uh, for USC. So I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of corrections that be made in your, uh, in your short email here. But as far as like real reasons, um, yeah, I mean, we don't know as of now. We haven't got to talk to him. And uh, Todd Orlando on Wednesday morning said that, EA came in to talk to Clay Helton and that was it. He didn't talk to him. So he wasn't able to talk to his position coach or his defensive coordinator. He talked to Clay Helton directly. My guess, I mean, just guessing my guess would be it has something to do with the medical aspect of it. He did have a leg injury along with a concussion that was out for quite a while uh, with the concussion. We've seen players have an issue with, you know, medical advice or medical um, diagnoses, uh, you know, in the past, maybe that has something to do with this one. That's the only thing that's coming to mind right now. And uh, like I said, we don't know for sure, but um, my guess would be it's something along those lines. Uh, let's go to Curtis from Marino Valley. New uh, next season's offense. Hey, Ryan, I know it's early, but I remember years ago when Alabama wanted to change their offense to compete with the high-scoring offenses out there, they hired Steve Sarkeesian as a, quote, offensive consultant, adding passing schemes to their normal attack. USC should hire a, quote, consultant to install the I-formation and run and other running sets. Thoughts, Curtis from Marino Valley. Um, I think, you know, this is more about having a system in place. And, you know, Steve Sarkeesian was a consultant mostly because he, you know, had the issues he had and he needed to get back into coaching. And Nick Saban's been really good at kind of rehabilitating people's coaching careers uh, for things like that. I think what you saw at LSU uh, when they brought in uh, Joe Barry, um, uh, is it Brady? What? Uh, Joe Brady. Sorry. Uh, not Joe Brad. Uh, yeah. So they bring him in and, you know, kind of work with their existing offensive coordinator. And obviously that worked really well. He gets hired by the NFL, you know, a year later. And it was really the kind of passing concepts that, um, you know, just just tore it up. And it was a record-setting offense for Joe Burrow and, and all those guys. Um, you know, and, and now Steve Sarkeesian, I think he's doing a good job there, too. I, I, it's not – I don't think Steve Sarkeesian made all these changes. I think it's really – you know, Nick Saban had to develop, too. I mean, he used to want to play defense and run the football. And um, you can get beat by teams that score a lot of points. And 
you know, he had to be become a team that scores a lot of points. And they got amazing wide receivers. They're putting dudes in the NFL. And, uh, you know, they're they're doing really well there. So as far as getting a consultant to come in and install the I-formation, I mean, that's now you're going to get into more gumbo territory. We're like, well, we'll do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You have to have an identity, or I'd, I'd prefer a team to have an identity. And they do have an identity. It's running this version of the Air Raid from Graham Harrell. And that version of the Air Raid from Graham Harrell doesn't have I-formations in it. Um, then you're going to be muddling your identity. You might not like the identity. Some people don't. Some people do. Um, I just wanted to see something, you know, running something that's uh, an effective offense. And I think this is an effective offense. There's going to be issues and there's going to be some problems with certain things. But for the most part, I like the way it's run. Just having a plan and one person running it. I wouldn't recommend doing something like that, Curtis. You're bringing someone else in and now you bring, you know, how many USC had the whole way too many cooks in the kitchen thing going before. Now they got one and I'd rather just have the one. And if you, you know, he didn't seem real happy answering questions about the run game. And, um, you know, I, you know, he likes to run the football, but if it's not there, it's not there. I don't think he's going to try to force it. And it wasn't there. And there was probably a lot of reasons for that. But uh, yeah, so I, I wouldn't do something like that. I mean, that would be, I, I think you would be trying to undercut uh, Graham Harrell and and that I don't think that's going to work well. We got one last one, uh, Jim B. Hey guys, love the co- podcast. Great job. What is wrong with the offensive line? Why can't they ever develop an offensive line? The coaches they have had uh, have not been that bad. James Craig is now the offensive line coach at LSU. Neil Calloway had an impressive resume before he came to SC. Tim Drevno's res- resume with Harbaugh was also impressive. Mike Summers, the guy that they got from Kentucky, was another with an impressive resume. I think that was in 2013. These guys seem to be good choice coaches until they come to SC and then they fail to produce. What's the problem? Fight on Jim B. Um, I mean, I don't want to go through all a bunch of individual guys, but like the latest one, Neil Calloway, was someone that was a family friend and probably passed his prime and didn't seem to do be able to recruit well and didn't seem to be able to relate to players well. And that's kind of what you're seeing now. I think, um, you know, there's a, there's been a bunch of issues, but you have to go to the top and there's going to be a, you know, it's about the culture of the school and the program as well. And so some of that's going to fall on Clay Helton's shoulders about his culture. Is it one where you're going to go and, and line up and, and do uh goal line drills uh, you know, once a week or something and, and hit each other and really smack people in the mouth and develop some kind of toughness there. You don't really see that. That's not really been the MO. And would that be beneficial to a bunch of offensive linemen? I think it would. Um, but the recruiting aspect really has been the problem. And, you know, you're trying to dig out of that. You you bring it, you know, Callaway wasn't very good. Uh, they would get some guys, but it's just he was not someone that was a great recruiter. We haven't seen great development when he was there. And then USC hits the five and seven hole and the recruiting really fell off as far as, you know, especially offensive linemen. And so now, you know, you're losing a bunch of guys off this, this squad and you, you know, you got a bunch of unproven freshmen basically on the roster and like, you're gonna have to replace them with them. And you know, there's some guys that have been around for a year or two, but no one really with a proven track record as far as like, you know, been playing a lot. So it's uh, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's a combination of things, though, Jim. And uh, but coaching is a, a big part of it. But it's not just the individual coaches. I think some of it is um, having the culture there and really not one of uh, 
you know, it wasn't the Jim Harbaugh kind of toughness culture, I think you would say, around the USC program. And, and that could definitely be a part of it. All right. Well, hope you guys enjoyed uh, this edition of the Peristyle podcast. Um, yeah. Enjoy Rivalry Reek, USC-UCLA on uh, Saturday, ABC, 4.30 p.m. at the Rose Bowl. I'll be over there. So checking this one out should be interesting. All right. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 